Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the number one sports podcast in the Metro Detroit area, Being It Up with CNB. I'm your host, Connor, as always with my co-host, Flatty, for another episode, a jam-packed episode of sports. What's going on, Vladdy? How have you been? Uh, pretty good. I was telling you a little bit beforehand, I played a lot of uh, PGA Tour 2K23 this kind of past weekend and week, kind of getting into more of the uh, competitive scene, if you will, and that was wildly entertaining, so I'm sure I'll pipe fire that up afterwards, but other than that, last week, haven't been doing much. Went out Saturday night for a friend's birthday, had a good time, but outside of that, nothing out of the ordinary. How have you been? Where were you at Saturday? I well, rock on third. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, that's this. That's a conversation for after for not, not on the pod, anyways. Uh, <laughs> I'm good, man. Uh, just been chilling, plugging away with school and work as always. The adult life. Um, nothing to add here. I think we can get into sports topics for this show. Uh, where do you want to start this week? Let's start with LSU basketball. They they finally gave us a, a nice little fun week. Um, after that abysmal performance in Wisconsin, two and zero. Um, I think the rebounding has been much, much, much better, and that's allowed the team to kind of get out in transition and not get stuck yeah. in that quicksand that we call the half court offense. And granted, it wasn't the best teams we were playing, but guess what? The wins are the wins. I actually I was looking at the new AP poll rankings and. Michigan State is back in the receiving votes section, a grand total of four of them, but they're still at least shown. <laughs> they've, they've got another nice week ahead of them with two very winnable games. First uh, kind of on the road at Minnesota and then at home to Illinois. And I think these two are crucial because afterwards the schedule fully opens up and we kind of get the, the pumpkins, if you will, of the Big Ten and that this team could really be finding themselves back in the rankings and kind of making a, a big climb. But I know you're. I, I didn't really get to watch the uh, the Maryland game, so I'll let you talk a little bit more about the game specifically. Yeah, that was just an absolute snooze fest of a game to watch for the general pop. Sixty three fifty four wasn't a whole lot of making shots. I know that's kind of Maryland's thing. They showed the the like a like uh, my, my, my like visual uh, on how good Maryland's been defensively this year. And basically every nobody's been able to score above like 75 against them, um, which is an interesting development for kind of an average team like Maryland. Um, that was a nice win. Uh, and then, you know, as bad as Michigan is this year to get the win at home uh, after kind of a, a struggling first half, they were down at the half first, the first half was tough. and came back, ended up winning by 20. Um, this that's kind of Michigan's MO this year. They've been up in the first half of a lot of games and blown pretty much all of them. And um, I was going to say, you saw the Rutgers game this past weekend, right? Blowing the 15-point yeah. lead in the second half at home. Yep. 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 So, like you said, the two games you probably, you probably marked on your calendar as wins. Um, and to be honest, February, we've talked about it. I know you just mentioned it. February really opens up for them. Um, really, the only team game I think you're probably not favored in is Illinois at home, um, which I think you have, have a shot at home against them um, on a Saturday at the Breslin. I'm sure they'll get rocking and going. Um, but then you, like you said, the Pumpkins are up next. Uh, they'll play Michigan again. They'll play Penn State. Uh, they play Ohio State and Iowa, I think, to end the month. Yep. Uh, and then you play Purdue, Northwestern, Indiana in March, which are, you know, three three losable games, quite frankly. Uh, I think especially Northwestern and Purdue, obviously Purdue or Northwestern's already beaten us this year. Um, but, yeah, the, like you mentioned, the rebounding has been a lot better. Uh, the defense in general, I think, has been a lot better. Maybe that's playing teams that don't necessarily have good bigs. I know Maryland's good, good big was uh, fouled out with like 15 minutes left. Uh, so that was a huge plug for us. We kind of went back and forth with them all game uh, and went on a 12-0 run at the end of the, to end the game. That was basically it in the last like four minutes, mm -hmm. um, which was nice to say. And another thing I'll add uh, before we move on from state basketball is Malik Hall has been uh, an unsung heralded hero. He's gotten a lot of flack, especially from the two people on this podcast <laughs> in the past. Um, <laughs> Turns out now that he's like 24 years old, he can actually 
be a good college basketball player, but he's been great offensively. He's provided them points in the paint, which have come sparingly, especially at the center position. So to have some kind of an inside presence, somebody who can put his back to the basket and make a move in the post uh, has provided, you know, and it made it easier on the shooters outside too. Uh, so I, I to sing his praises over the last couple of weeks here. Yeah, I think I had seen a stat where I don't think it was Michigan State's necessarily undefeated when he scores 10-plus points, but their record was very, very good when he puts uh, more than 10 on the board. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, and I, I doubt you saw this because I only saw it from a very weird uh, kind of niche thing scrolling through Twitter. I was wit- I witnessed uh, this interaction of people. Uh, they were talking about Xavier Booker, and this, this random guy says something about Booker looking like he has a problem with getting yelled at. And then the person responds back, he's got no problem getting yelled at. And then the person responds, how do you know? And it's like, well, I'm his parent. I know damn well what he does or doesn't do. Wow. (laughs) And it it was a hilarious interaction. And the person's like, oh, and they just kind of like bit their tongue. But I just found that very entertaining, kind of a quick. Is that because he kind of had that moment against Michigan where he was kind of, he was pouting and Izzo was, you know, doing his Izzo yelling thing. And he kind of like, like he, looked like he was about to cry basically maybe that was maybe that was kind of what they were referring to but he basically was like yeah he's got no problem getting yelled at he's got a problem getting lied to and he didn't know specifics about what that means but there sounded like there were some issues there oh i didn't see that some problems getting lied to oh your parents said that yeah the parents said that it was crazy (laughs) so i'm assuming that's that's definitely a playing time thing but like absolutely and I know, and I know it's really hard as a parent or a player, especially in this age. But I mean, in the limited minutes he gets, he can't. He's okay uh, offensively. He's okay. He can shoot the ball for a big guy. He's got to get a little stronger inside. Maybe the post moves will come more. But he is, can't stop anybody on defense. It's bad. Mm-hmm. So like you watch that, and it's like there's no justify. And I I like. I think a lot of Spartan fans wanted this to happen. We're like, well, why isn't Booker playing over Sissoko or Carson Cooper? Um, We're now Jackson Kohler back at the center position. And I kind of like what they've been – Kohler's brought in that, like, he hasn't necessarily popped off, per se, offensively, like you would have expected. But now Michigan State can go big with him. They'll go – often they'll go him and Cooper or him and Sissoko. And it's just a different look defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have kind of – when you play with three undersized guards like they do for most of that game, it, it helps provide a little more size, especially defensively. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I have kind of taken note of the two big lineups, so we'll be interested to see going forward. Now, now that said, I do think that you, you probably lose some offense there unless Kohler can kind of – continue to develop his game i know it's only been like five or six games since he's been back so yeah um do we want to stick with college i know you'd mentioned the tennessee thing you wanted to talk about before we get to the nfl stuff yeah quickly wanted to give mention to um some you know obviously i have more time to talk about these types of issues you know not in super bowl college basketball season uh I just thought it was interesting. Uh, Tennessee's attorney general in response to the NCAA opening up investigations against Tennessee uh, and the NIL collective for some possible recruiting violations has now launched a lawsuit against the NCAA um, with antitrust violations being the main claim. Essentially, it's going to put at issue uh, the essential pay to play. Uh, and is that legal? And can the NCAA do that? Is that an antitrust violation? It's just going to go down a whole rabbit hole of legal issues, I think, that pertain to, you know, the world of college sports as we see it. So to kind of give some background, um, can't say his name. He's going to be the Tennessee starting quarterback this year. He was a five-star recruit two years ago. Uh, I am Mavella, I think his name is. Uh, he was from California, and he signs this three-year, $8 million deal with this strategic sports group, essentially. Um, And essentially what it was for was for him to come to Tennessee. 
right? It's it's linked to the collective. He gives away his essentially his name, image, and likeness rights um, legally in a contract, and he gets paid for that. Uh, the issue is it is essentially pay for play, which has always been a violation of the NCAA. Um, now they're making a the NCAA is making kind of a point out of Tennessee because Tennessee is and the SEC in general are the big collectives. That's where all the money is. They're super organized. They, you know, look like very well running legal entities in general. Um, something the big 10 can maybe learn from, I think if you want to get these big recruits, but it's just an interesting situation because essentially uh, it's just not at all what NIL was intended for, right? These collectives and, uh, are they legal or not legal? I, I tend to lean on the side of it's 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 definitely against NCAA violations, but uh, again, it'll start to become an issue of state law or NCAA bylaws, and eventually, probably state laws will win out. So, and that's kind of the situation and the scope of that. And it's just it'll be an interesting development. I don't know what your thoughts on I, this is what, kind of what I wanted to get at was your thoughts on these collectives in general. And that's the part that I guess I didn't really understand until I read into this and the role they've actually played in recruiting. I guess I never really thought of it like this. What's your impression on, on school collectives essentially? Yeah. So I understand why they exist. Obviously the school cannot directly pay the player because then you bring title nine into play and you have to start bringing up all of the, the kind of the, the call of duty sports teams that these schools have have to get paid the same way that the kind of the, the main football right. team does. So I understand why, why collectives are needed, why boosters have to do it. And I mean, at some point, how much of it is really just the school paying them through a different thing where the booster is working very closely with the athletic director and saying, hey, right. I'm going to set this up. We're going to pay it through this structure. And it's just we're doing it through you because you're allowed to and we're not. I think for for the idea itself, I, I actually don't think it's a, a bad idea to have a collective right. to be able to structure it. I think that's the one thing, the, the one word that so many people use to describe what there isn't in college football right now. And right. What they need, whether that be through, you mentioned state laws, maybe it's a federal thing. Maybe, right. maybe Congress gets involved. Maybe college football. And I, I know I saw, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, some kind of small rumors about how the Big Ten and the SEC were going to create some, I don't want to call it an advisory committee, but they were basically laying yeah, I saw that. they were basically laying the groundwork for them breaking away for the MCAA and having their own kind right. of league, if you will. While I hate what that means for college, I, a lot of people have kind of banged on the drum the last couple of years of you need someone centered. You need one entity. You cannot have 17 conferences playing by 17 different rules. And that's when you end up with all these stupid debates that we used to see on the field with teams kind of comp competing for that fourth playoff spot or competing for this, competing for that. Yeah, I I've always liked to bring this up. You need Dana White. You need one yeah. guy sitting there who doesn't give a shit about anything other than the success of his league and he puts together the best possible things for that league for, for that league success. Um, with that said, there's also negative impacts, and you kind of see that with a lot of the coaches now. And what what has happened where the old guys are too pissed off; they don't have enough energy to deal with the amount of recruiting that goes into any. These days, you have to deal with recruiting the players you've already recruited. If I yep. recruited you in 2021 and you just played for me for two years, I still have to recruit because if you're good at what you do, Ohio State and Alabama, even though you're not in the portal, are actively calling you saying, hey, man, we'll come buy you for a million dollars. And they know damn well that I don't have that money as whatever smaller school I am. There was the, co the head coach of Boston College, Jeff Halfley, I think his name was, who just left to take a, a, a demotion in the NFL to be the Packers yeah. defensive coordinator. And there's a lot of people who have said that's not going to be the only thought time because these coaches, especially at smaller schools, are fed up with building these players, developing relationships, developing their skill sets just to have Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and whatever other big school you want come in and say, hey, man, here's a million bucks. Here's more exposure. 
come play for us. And then they get up and leave. So there is an obscene amount of regulation that needs to uh, that needs to kind of be brought into this. And I don't want to go too far into a rabbit hole here. You mentioned once we get into the offseason, we have more time for topics like this. And I know it feels like once every other episode, I say, oh, this is a great thing to make into a, our own topic. I finally got around to actually starting to make a list. And sure as hell, state of college sports was, was one of the first things I came up with. And I really do want to do it once we get into kind of the dog days of the spring, summer, whatever it might be, because there is – so much to unpack here and there's so much wrong with collegiate sports yeah and i guess the, it's a great point you make about the recruiting players that you already have too because there's a actually another ongoing lawsuit ncaa v ohio uh where they just want a the players want a preliminary injunction that basically says that the ncaa can enforce its one transfer portal or one transfer portal one transfer rule Mm-hmm. Um, so now you can transfer as many times as you want before you had, you could leave whenever once in the portal, yep. you could go to the portal once, but after that you had to sit out a certain amount of time. That is no longer the case right now. This a pre- 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 preliminary, uh, injunction will basically mean, uh, that they can't do this for, or enforce that rule until the like end of the lawsuit. And basically if they win, the players win then that injunction will continue and if it if it doesn't it won't be preliminary anymore it'll just be an injunction and if they lose then that will obviously go back to the way it was before uh but that's an interesting develop development that i believe happened over the holidays that uh pi was uh, granted and that's going to apply so at perfect timing right right as college football ends that they can now have this rule so it's essentially become the wild wild west uh, I guess the only thing I wanted to end on is what I think is so creative about these collectives is this deal. And essentially what their argument, Tennessee's argument is, is the deal was just the transfer of his. It gave this SSG, this sports group, basically the rights to his you know NIL money. So essentially we we pay a salary, but like we're in charge of you're going to do this ad, this ad, this ad, right? Uh, we have the rights to, to to that. It doesn't say, and there's no consideration or inducement is the is the buzzword that you can't induce a player to come to your school. There's no inducement in the contract to come to Tennessee specifically. So it's just it's I think it's so creatively masked, right? That it's this isn't inducing. We're not inducing you to come to Tennessee, and it's it's just an interesting and very creative way to go around it. And it's so interesting to me that in the what two years that this has been a thing now that we're already down this rabbit hole. I guess I shouldn't be surprised with how much money is on the line, but yeah, and I mean it's how much money. I think I've we've brought it up in the past. It's just the NCAA. They were they were pouty that they didn't get their way, and players finally had a little bit more autonomy and power if you will and they're like well screw it we're going to show you how we're best and we're not going to regulate it and we're going to try and pin it on you guys when in reality all parties are to blame just kind of that's kind of the snowball effect of you have left you've you've left the cabin pressure you've lost it all and we are where we are Mm -hmm. uh you want to get into the i think our next topic is head coaches yeah, in the NFL. Kind of j- jumping to the kind of the NFL game before we get into the Super Bowl preview itself. Obviously, that's the the big topic. Uh, we had kind of the completion of the of the head coaching cycle. I think there were two jobs left when we last spoke. It was the yeah. Commanders and the Seahawks. Um, where do you want to? Do you want to just maybe? How, how do you want? Do you want to rank these? Do you want to just talk a little bit about each one? How do you want to do it? Um. I wouldn't really let's let's just go through go through them and we can give them like a letter grade on which on what you think even though I'm I'm pretty fine with everything that happened yeah um, is there one specifically that you wanted to start with oh uh, yeah in my notes I have Harbaugh to the Chargers first so let's start there <laughs> I think that's the biggest storyline I would say that's also Besides true maybe the, maybe the guys who didn't get a job yeah um yeah Harbaugh back in the NFL um. Like you mentioned, probably the biggest storyline, the biggest name that got hired, uh, not only because of what he did at Michigan for the last 10 years and kind of 
almost taking college football by by hostage for what he did the last three years with that team he built. Um, he was obviously wildly successful in San Francisco, but that was over a decade ago. We'll see how much of that success can translate. I've always kind of maintained that he's a better NFL coach than a college coach because of his approach that each week is its own thing. I know for the longest time, one of the issues with Michigan, especially against Michigan State and Ohio State, was I don't think Harbaugh ever fully emphasized, wait a minute, like, we have to prepare for our rivals more than we have to prepare for Boston College and Minnesota right. at home. I think now that he's back in the NFL, he can kind of continue his approach of each week is its own thing. Each week is worth its own. It, it's, it's worth the same amount. It's either one win or one loss or in the odd case, one tie. Um, yeah, I mean, we rank this kind of near the top of the open jobs. He gets a very good quarterback. As much as I like to bash on Justin Herbert, he is a very good quarterback. But as we've also mentioned, there's a lot to do with that roster. You've yeah. got aging stars, you've got salary cap hell, and you've got a very high draft pick where there can be a lot of things that they do. I've seen people mock them to weapons. I've seen people say, oh, we're going to trade down because you know what? We think that quantity is more important than quality in this case. I know from a, maybe a rumor standpoint, I, I did see that Pete Carroll was quietly in the back, kind of the back room, trying to weasel his way into this job. I don't know how true that ever was, but I did see it. I don't know if you you did any saw anything like that. I, I don't know how much weight I put on it or how much I care, but no, I didn't see anything on Pete Carroll. I just it's just going to be so interesting, and I don't think he'll have a problem with this. Is managing like you said, aging stars and a lot of cap hell. Uh, and I think the only thing that stands in the way of him not being successful here is exactly how his NFL career ended a decade ago. Uh, and that's poor relationships with management. Um, I don't feel like that'll be a problem necessarily in LA because I think they're the plan from what I've seen is to kind of give him the reins to um, turn this thing around and that you got a guy who's established has been successful at the college and the NFL level that, uh, you anticipate this being, I don't want to even call it a rebuild, really, but you anticipate this being a quick turnaround with some of the older players on this roster uh, and the downside of last year. Obviously, most of that was due to injury. Uh, and with the franchise quarterback, most importantly, that made this probably the top-of-the-line job to get because you have the best player at the most important position of any of those teams. So, Yeah, I think you. Had, I think the perfect way to kind of encompass this for the next team is you hire Jim Harbaugh for a reason. You know what he's like. If yeah. you're not going to give him the reins, if you're not going to put up with the goofiness, if you will, you don't hire Jim Harbaugh. You do what happened to Bill Belichick. You just go somewhere else. So right. I don't see there being problems with management. If there's going to be problems, it's going to be because the team's not performing. And in that case, he's he's open to be fired for other causes, such as you weren't good enough at this, at this stint of your career. Um, I think that's kind of what I have with the Chargers. Yeah. So afterwards, we I've got Dan Quinn to the Commanders. Um, this is a very interesting one, kind of with more and more information coming out the last kind of couple of days with what happened with Ben Johnson. Yeah. Uh, like I, I know I've said it, you've said it, I think most people assumed this was Ben Johnson's job. Um, we talked about how we talked about it, and then you kind of have the stories of all the top brass flying to Detroit to interview Ben Johnson. And then as they're in the air, the stories come out that he just texts them saying, hey, I am not going to take your job, which was an incredibly weird thing. And then I think kind of some cover stories came out of, oh, we came here to interview Aaron Glenn as well. And, oh, Ben Johnson does an interview well. I think this one's an incredibly murky one filled with love. I don't want to call it drama, but it's a lot of he said, he said she said. I yeah. know the commanders sat there and kind of tried to paint Ben Johnson as I want to say Judas, but is this bad guy who kind of screwed them over? But unless Ben Johnson gave him some verbal, hey, man, like, I'm going to take your job and then kind of backed out of it in the last second and then let him know by text while they're on the plane over to pick him up, then I'll be able to say, you know what, Ben Johnson, that wasn't the best. But if it was a, hey, we think we're going to hire you and he just kind of sat there quietly, that's on them for overplaying their hand and assuming that he's there. You don't, you don't get to do that. He hasn't signed any contract with you yet. So... That, that's kind of the, the weirdness that was around it. Um, they hired Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn as a coaching hire is pretty much rehiring Ron Rivera. Career 43 and 42 record. 
that's obviously not bad, but it's certainly not great. And he's not kind of that mold of new, young, offensive guru. I know they just hired Cliff Kingsbury, and the, the rumors of Caleb Williams have already started. And Cliff Kingsbury himself was once thought to be the or I said Oakland, the Las Vegas Raiders offensive coordinator. Then he backs out of it in some weird way where apparently it was never signed. And he ends up in Washington, so... I guess this is what we'll be talking about for the next couple months until the draft happens or until a trade is made is are they moving up for Caleb? They brought back Caleb's kind of special coordinator person under Lincoln Riley. But I don't know. I I don't think there's too much to say about this. It's not, it's not a bad hire. I don't think it's a great hire either. And I also think that they, they just unlike the other teams got put into an incredibly weird spot where they thought they had a guy, and it turns out they didn't. We never, or we're never going to know what happened. The only other thing that I guess that can be mentioned is Eric Bieniemy being told he's not on the roster anymore. I don't know why it's really a story. Whatever promises might have been made to him of, oh, we're going to fire Ron Rivera and then you'll take over, that was under a previous ownership regime. So I don't know how you expect those promises to be to be kept. So. That's kind of it for me with the commanders. I, I know I kind of just monologued for a bit, so I'll let you get your your, your, your couple cents in. But Yeah, I, I like you make a great point. Is I, I'm not very high on Dan Quinn as a head coach, personally. I know he's made a Super Bowl. You mentioned the record right around 500. Uh, great coordinator. What he's done in Dallas over the past few years has been pretty special. He's done a good – he did a good job there. Uh and I think it was huge for him. I will kind of overstate the Cliff Kingsbury hire because, like you said, he's not that offensive guru to young offensive guru to get. I guess you want to call Cliff that or not is up for debate. I think given I think his he's, he's he's always had good offenses. Just his time in Arizona was a failure because he couldn't really control a locker room, and his quarterback was addicted to Call of Duty at the time. Seems to be better yeah. now. Seems to be a little better now. Um, <laughs> huge. I, I don't know. They're, the Caleb Williams stuff, like you said, will be around all summer. I was a little more like this is just sometimes in professional sports, it feels like these coaches are just kind of uh, revolving doors and you don't see a lot of new blood. Maybe not so much in the NFL, especially over the past couple of years. But it just feels like another – it's like when Ron Rivera got hired in there the first time. It was like a, yep. a revolving door of just average coaches getting fired, being average, getting fired, getting hired, getting fired, and yep. hired, and fired, and hired. So. Yeah. Uh, going to Raheem Morris in the Falcons. Um, this was kind of the one Bill Belichick spot. I think we kind of talked yep. about what Bill Belichick did in his interview with Arthur Blank and other ownership was he came in and said, if you want to hire me, we have to do it my way. I'm going to put my people in there. I'm going to be this and that. And Arthur Blank decided that that he didn't want to do that. And that's perfectly fine for Arthur Blank to do. Um, I, I, the, the coach, Raheem Morris himself, um, I don't necessarily – know too much about him he was a head coach previously with the Buccaneers but that was also 15 years ago so I don't know how much of what he did then can carry any weight in a completely different landscape and sport um he was very good with the Rams he brings he brings Zach Robinson with him to kind of to be the offensive coordinator um I think a lot of this job revolves around what they do at quarterback because as we saw last year, you can pull Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke in this 3A, 3B. I'm not even going to call them ones because that's a disservice to any other starting quarterback in football. Uh, I know with Arthur Smith no longer being there, I think the QB position maybe is a little different. I know a lot of people kind of pegged Justin Fields as this, oh, my God, perfect for what Arthur Smith wants to do quarterback. Now that it's a new guy, mate, there's going to be some veterans on the market. Kirk Cousins might be a free agent. Russ is almost certainly going to be available as a free agent. And you know what? Maybe Justin Fields still is an option. I just don't think he really fits maybe what they're going to be trying to do. Is a head coaching hire, I guess, cool? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, there's not really good or bad things to say about this. Yeah, I don't really have much of a reaction on either way. Um, it's a name that I wasn't too familiar with, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I, not a strong reaction other way. Obviously, has done a good job and kind of paid his dues 
as a defensive coordinator over the past decade since getting his first chance. So I guess he was due and I guess it was his time. Um, we'll see. It, it's definitely going to be a different look than what Arthur Smith was uh, in Atlanta. Uh, and maybe, maybe going with a defensive minded coach, uh, unlike what Arthur Smith was, will take away some of the pressure of some of these stars I th- and to get these stars the ball and maybe just a new system will explode for them a little bit more. So you mentioned the stars. Actually, something I read about 15 minutes before we got on was they had asked him about what he thinks about the offense. And he says, and I quote, Drake London and Bijan Robinson are awesome. And I emphasize those two names because there's a third name that everyone used to love to say, oh, my God, Arthur Smith's a terrorist because he doesn't use him. But he was not mentioned. And that is Kyle Pitts. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Maybe Kyle Pitts is still in prison. That's very bad for my fantasy football team. Please use him. He's only 23, so there's time for him to grow, but please use him. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I the only thing I can really say is a lot of people much smarter than me and much more familiar with Raheem Morris say this is a very good hire, so who am I to sit here and shit on it? I, I, I'm just not familiar enough with his work in 2010 to be able to – give an accurate statement on what I might think he does now. Right. Uh, Carolina. Yeah. Um, Dave Canales to the Panthers, our favorite uh, Abercrombie and Fitch model, the guy we think is way too handsome to be a head coach. Uh, no, no, no. Here's here. We, we thought he was way too handsome to be a, a coordinator. I actually think given the kind of the track record with a lot of young better looking head coaches. <laughs> it's okay now that he's a head coach. You think it's okay? You now? The McVeighs, the McFlores, uh, Kyle Shanahan. Now you got <laughs> Andy Reid and then you got. You think the looks finally match the position? Yes, that's exactly he's what I job, Charlie, yeah. I mean, actual like jokes aside, for me, this hire's kind of meh. Um, yeah. We talked about how no one with a pulse would really want this job just because they know how bad it is to work with David Tepper, and I think the hire kind of reflects that. Um, I'm, I'm assuming from everyone yep. that interviewed for that position extensively, um, this was the only guy who really wanted to do it because he was probably the only guy who didn't have realistic prospects elsewhere. And that doesn't mean he's going to be a bad coach. He doesn't have a lot of experience. He was the Seahawks passing game coordinator, I believe, two years ago, the year Geno Smith was great. I don't even think he was the OC then. And then he comes to – here and leads Baker on a very, very good season for Baker, as we mentioned numerous times throughout the se- throughout the year. So he's shown he can do it, and I, I think that's part of the reason why he got the job was, hey, man, we've got Bryce Young. We invested so much into him beyond just the number one pick. Obviously, we've talked all about the trade numerous times. Come, to, come work your magic with him. So we'll see how it works in real life. Um, if you told me hey, Dave Canales has two options, one of them the Panthers, one of them is literally any other job. I would assume he picks any other job. But we've also mentioned there's only 32 of these. And being the wor- being in the worst situation of 32 is still being better on the outside looking in. So well, I think we'll see what happens. I, I, I can't sit here and shit on it like with, with previous ones. The, the jury's out on him. Yeah, I think my first thought was uh, seeing it's a six-year deal. And thinking about how many coaches David Tepper will be paying in that six years, because I, I don't <laughs> see anybody going in there and living six years as a head coach with Tepper. Yeah, and I mean he's already paying Matt Rule, um, or he's because Matt Rule got like that eight-year deal when he was first hired two yeah. three years ago. So he's paying Matt Rule. Um, he'll be paying. Why? Why am I blanking Frank Reich for the next five years, uh, unless Frank Reich takes another job, which who knows. Well, Matt Rule has another job. But it, but if that is not at the NFL level, does that still matter? I don't I don't really know how that would work legally. Hey, it's, you, like, I know there's probably a clause in there that says what it is, but to, like the basic contract law is you pay the difference. Okay. The Fair. Yeah. And I'm sure Nebraska's got some deep pockets, probably not as deep as David Tepper's. Um, right. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see we'll see what he can do with, with Bryce Young. Um work his magic, try and save him. I, I don't again. I've, I've said I don't think Bryce Young is as bad as that first year showed. So maybe yeah, you get we'll another see. weapon, or maybe you try and keep him alive with an offensive lineman. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Where we go next? Uh, Tennessee. Sure. Um, this is one of the only ones I can truly shit on. To be completely honest with you, 
Um, firing Mike Vrabel because he had a disagreement with a GM slash ownership over the AJ Brown trade, and then hiring an offensive coordinator who's never proved anything. Um, I know he was Joe Burrow's offensive coordinator and he worked with Peyton Manning in Denver. That doesn't necessarily mean he's good. Um, maybe they think that because he was a Cincinnati Bengals offensive coordinator, they can get ahead in the T Higgins sweepstakes. If T Higgins even makes it to free agency um, and then kickstart something, letting Will Levis just go out there as a gunslinger with D hop trail on Burks and T Higgins. But this this one, given what you had and what you went to, this is the only one I can truly sit here and say I don't understand it. Yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of with you here. It seems like it was a high. I mean, I think you were, we were both going to kind of have this reaction to anyone they hired, given that, like, I don't really think many people thought, including myself, that Mike Vrabel should have been let go. Uh, interesting that Mike Vrabel did not get another job. Um. I think that's more interesting than actually talking about who they hired afterwards. Um, There's probably a couple of reasons for that. Uh, I don't, again, I'm not super familiar with his work. Uh, Like you said, Bengals, Joe Burrow definitely profited off that. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how guys like that do. Uh, It's the classic like Belichick or Brady type argument. Like, was he good because of Joe Burrow? Was he good because he was a good offensive coordinator? Time will tell. Time will tell. Time told for uh, Bill Belichick. So the jury is definitely still out on this guy. So, yep. Yeah, I I don't have too much more. I know this is one of the shorter conversations, but uh, uh did we talk about New England? We have not. Uh, Gerard Mayo. Well, one of the two kind of quote unquote internal hires with kind of zero debate from their side where if I remember correctly, I think he was the first coach hired where they just kind of said, Bill Belichick is done. We are promoting Gerard Mayo. Um, I mean, he's been there for five, six years as a coach. Obviously he played there. And I guess the one thing I'll say is if they believed enough in him and if Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick said, Hey, this is my successor because it was in written in his contract. This is the successor. I can't, I can't shit on it. You know, it's decent hire. The jury's out. We, we, we talked about kind of them having the number three pick and being in a position to kind of either get a quarterback or if you want to kind of get, if you want to get the Marvin Harrison sweepstakes and pull a Detroit lions with Calvin Johnson and get your quarterback later, you can, but we'll see what happens. Um, I, th- I think I saw they kind of poached the Browns' offensive coordinator. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't have too much to say about this. No, I, I think I was not surprised at all, actually, that they went internal. I think it was kind of always going to be when it was Bill's time that it was going there was going to be some lined-up successor from the in-house I think that's probably what management and craft was more comfortable with as opposed to getting somebody you know outside and changing the sort of the patriot way you know i think it's kind of a like uh lessens the burden of change that is to come for that organization i guess is how i would put it yep um moving on to antonio pierce the other internal hire also, not really much discussion during the no. cycle. I think the kind of the players in the locker room maybe might have forced Mark Davis's hand and said, hey, yeah. two years ago we had Rich Passaccia and we loved him and you threw him out for a bag of chips because you wanted to go get crazy. Uh, Daniel. Yeah, Josh McDaniels. Um, this time you're not. we're not going to let you do that. We want this guy. We love playing for this guy. They were good. They, I think they were five and four under him with – Aiden O'Connell, a rookie quarterback. So, yeah. I mean, what can I say? He he did very well, and he certainly earned his place. Now, I've seen yeah. one thing that's the one thing that's interesting for them is do they roll with Aiden O'Connell again because he did okay? I've seen yeah. them heavily linked with the quarterback, but they're kind of outside of that top range. So, it's are you shooting at Bo Nix and Michael Penix, and is that really worth spending your first round pick on? We'll, we'll see. What, I mean, they're, they're in a they're kind of in a in a weird. Kind of crossroads. Of Still got, paying Jimmy G a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you're in the weird crossroads. You've got oh, you've got some good players. I mean, Devontae Adams is there. How long is he going to be there for? We don't know. Max Crosby's obviously a stud. You, I mean, 
Josh Jacobs was a good running back the last two years, but it looks like he might be heading out the door. So they might need some retooling. And obviously when you play in Patrick Mahomes' division, you kind of, you kind of starting every season with one leg back and kind of hoping for a wild card place, but what are you going to do? Uh, I, don't, I think it's, I think it's a good hire. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of a, almost a Dan Campbell hire, a younger, younger coach, uh, former player that hit the players seem to uh, seems to understand the locker room and building a culture within the locker room and getting his players behind him that I think uh, that's a very comparable uh, two very comparable names and coaches and I, I look for him to kind of take a similar path as to what Dan Campbell's done in Detroit. I, I like that comparison. Um, I think last and certainly not least Mike McDonald to the Seahawks. I absolutely love this hire for the Seahawks. He did so much for both of the Harbaugh's kind of over the last couple of years, running this amazing, versatile, aggressive defense. Seattle does have the players in position to be able to kind of continue that. We've talked about the offensive talent. Um, They still haven't finalized the offensive coordinator position as we speak right now, but I'm pretty sure McDonald has said he's going to be relatively hands-off with the offense and kind of do his thing with the defense. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the offensive coordinator will be a very kind of big hire for them, but I think that's absolutely kind of a, a place that's ready to kind of go post-49er kind of dominance. The question is, when will that 49ers dominance be over? Well, Trent Williams is old, and that roster is about to get very expensive very quickly. So I know they yes. kind of lucked into Brock Purdy. You get to not pay a quarterback and reset your kind of contract market by a while. But, I mean, they're they're going to be paying Nick Bosa $30 million, and Fred Warner's getting paid $25 million, and Debo and Brandon Ayuk are going to get paid. And how much longer can you run Christian McCaffrey into the ground? I don't know, but his contract is going to get very expensive very quickly based on the way it was kind of – I don't want to say phrase, but the way it was structured by the Panthers before he was traded. So there, there is a lot of there's a lot of interesting pieces for the 49ers where how long can they keep it up? What's well, again, I mentioned it, what's Trent Williams gonna do? He's kind of the linchpin of that offense. So much of the runs are designed at him and behind him, kind of the way the Lions run at and behind Panay Sewell. They're just there's just a force. Well, uh, we'll see what they do. Yeah, that kind of teases up into our last segment here, the Super Bowl. Um, taking place a week from yesterday or going to take place a week from yesterday. Uh, Chiefs, 49ers. Uh, last I saw, the 49ers were a two-point favorite. Um, the game's in Las Vegas. I think, really, man, it boils down to the, do you believe in the, what the 49ers have been in everyone's minds all season as, like, objectively probably the best team on paper and on the field? Or do you believe in Patrick Mahomes' inevitability? I think that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I mean, I think the the way you kind of phrase that, you can kind of kind of condense it into if you want to compete for a Super Bowl in this day and age, you either need a top quarterback or a top roster. I don't. Th- I think kind of the days of yep. maybe Eli Manning uh, making this run or this kind of these maybe lesser teams. I think with just kind of the way offensive rules have evolved and kind of let these top quarterbacks do whatever they want. I think that those are your two options. Um, Obviously the chiefs are the top quarterback side and the 49ers are the top roster side. Um, The other thing that I do want to mention is I talked about it last year. um, Sacks, sacks, defensive pressure and sacks. Both of these teams are in the top six in the NFL and sacks. You got to be able to get to the quarterback. It's not a shock that they're the last two remaining. Um, yep. I know Baltimore kind of – I think they led the league in sacks, and Detroit was kind of that odd team out where they were tied for third worst in the NFL in sacks, yet we still made the NFC title game. So I guess good for us. Brad, please go get us some help. It's probably even more important than replacing Cam Sutton because if you get a better edge rusher, you make your corners look better because you don't have to chase someone for five minutes. With that said, back to the actual game. Uh, Shane's plug aside. Uh, I think the Chiefs have found their 1B weapon in Rasheed Rice. I know I kind of said that every week, but every week he does more and more, and he gets the, he gets more targets. And with the kind of the catches he had, especially last week, I've kind of realized his ability after the catch is incredible. Um, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and call him Tyreek because he doesn't have that game-breaking speed, but he is very, very good. It always seems like he's falling forward, and he's kind of finding those 
three, four, five yards extra where you don't really expect it. Yeah, uh, I, I think on that side of the ball in general, it's going to have to be uh, – they're going to have to establish the run with Pacheco. That was clearly what the Lions did in the first half against the 49ers. It seems to kind of be one of their only – I don't even want to call it a weakness, but maybe a, a low spot is their run defense. Uh, and they're going to need to establish the ball because I really do think – uh, this is going to be a low-scoring game in general. I, I, this is going to be another Super Bowl where neither team's above 25 points. Uh, I think the Chiefs' defense is humming on all cylinders. They're hot. They've looked good all playoffs. And I think the 49 – it's not like Patrick Mahomes has been scoring 30 points on everyone either. Uh, he's done his job to win the games, and I think that's what it will continue to be. Um, on that side of the ball, That's that's at least how I see it. Yeah, I, I kind of view the Chiefs as a higher floor, lower ceiling team than the 49ers, and a lot of that is just due to what Patrick Mahomes is and what you know you're going to get with him. Going to the flip side on the 49ers, Brock Purdy has never been in the spot before. Obviously, he died yeah. in last year's NFC title game, so is there going to be nerves? Um, we've seen Kyle Shanahan lose his mind at this stage before as Atlanta's offensive coordinator and as the head coach four years ago when his team was up, and I think they kind of – lost they kind of lost it a little um with that said though um i believe that this is a better team than the one that lost four years ago they're more experienced in the game uh four years ago debo bosa rookies fred warner second year guy didn't have trent williams didn't have uh i think brandon Ayuk wasn't even there yet you didn't have christian mccaffrey so I, I just think that this is a better team. It's a more experienced team. I know we talked about Jokic's quote in the summer where in order to win a title, you've got to be, I think it was good, then you've got to lose to learn how to win, and then that's that's when you can finally put it all together. This is kind of the team that's followed that cycle. They've they've been good or they they were bad, they were they got good, they lost a couple times, they've learned how to lose and how to handle that. And I think this is finally where the the kid the I think this is finally where the 49ers get it done. I think kind of that rushing attack from Caffrey is going to be too much. Yeah, I, I agree that the 49ers are going to ultimately win this game. Uh, I just am somewhat blinded by the fact that the Chiefs have gotten it done all three of their games and the 49ers have kind of looked shaky and looked like they've survived both of their wins. Um I, I hate being this guy, but you, you got to worry about, you know, Shanahan's trust in Brock Purdy still, his trust in his kicker and Jake Moody still after that's, another that's miss last one. week. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very I good just, point. Two positions you need to have trust in, and it, it, you never know when you get to a stage like this, uh, like you mentioned, on a guy that's already lost his mind, as established he likes to lose his mind in these situations, how he'll react, who he'll trust when the moment and the light's shining brightest. I do think they survive. I think it's the Jokic analogy. Is, it's, 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 they've reached the point now where it's their time to win. They've done so much uh, losing in, at this stage and in every stage of the playoffs now that they're ready for this. Yeah, and I guess maybe the one thing that from the 49ers that I also do want to point out, and maybe this was – I don't know how much of this you can give credit to the Lions for what they did, but if you go back and look at the the effort level of the defenses in the first and second half from the 49ers, you saw some of maybe the touchdown runs that we had. That was like you had Chase Young jogging, Nick Bosa jogging. Some of I, I think the one thing is they, they need to be mentally locked in. You cannot Get, go, you can't go down on this Chiefs team because unlike the Lions, they are not inexperienced. And you, under no circumstance do you expect them to ever kind of fall apart the way the Detroit Lions did uh, two weeks ago or last week, whatever it was at this point. So you cannot have that Mickey Mouse uh, flat start that the 49ers exhibited last week. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you're in a spot where you're down in the second half to Patrick Mahomes, it's just not going to be the same result as Dan and the boys. My prediction, final score, Chiefs 17, 49ers 19. Oh, wow. You 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 said it's going to be a low-scoring game, and you went for a low-scoring game. I don't think it'll be that kind of tough and that stingy. 
Um, I'm not going to sit here and predict a 45-44 game, but give me the San Francisco 49ers 27, Kansas City Chiefs 21. Okay. So the 49ers win and cover. Hey, good for them. Um, Marlo, what do you, who do you think is going to win, Milo? Oh, God, we brought the dog in. <laughs> Marlo says that the Chiefs are going to win. Oh. So that's that's third-party Marlo. The German Shepherd says that the Chiefs are going to win. So take that as you want, people. I love it. Yeah. Um, with that, that kind of concludes our kind of coverage. And not necessarily concludes the coverage because we will be recapping Super Bowl next week, but – We've now gone through 99% of the season, uh, thoroughly enjoyable, so many storylines. We got to kind of enjoy that Lions ride and the highs and certainly the low, especially at the end. Uh, it was an entertaining time, but I'll kind of turn over to you for some last couple of words before we before we sign off for this week. Yeah, the script was in full effect this year. Who, who knew that, you know, Taylor Swift would be involved? Uh that the Chiefs will be back at a Super Bowl again. Um, and, you know, maybe she'll make the game. I heard she's going to be in Japan, but you never know. Uh, I'll say my sneaky sneaky prop bet is for her to join in on Usher's halftime show, just, like, come down from the sky and just – it's Taylor Swift. Jesus Christ. Um, all right, how about, how, how about a more game-relevant prop bet? Who's your Super Bowl MVP? Super Bowl MVP is going to be Christian McCaffrey. I think he has a big day. Pretty hard to go against him. I like two touchdowns for him on the ground, 100-plus on the ground, or maybe 100-plus all-purpose. Give me Christian McCaffrey, Super Bowl MVP, and him and Kyle Shanahan can complete the circle that Mike Shanahan and Ed McCaffrey started 40 years ago. Love it. Yep. Yeah, that's the crazy story, isn't it? That yeah. Ed McCaffrey. I love how they, they just like in general come out of the weed works with stories like this. It's just like who who like found that? Like I mean, I don't I mean I don't think it's that big of a stretch. It's like both of their fathers were kind of on the same team, won a Super Bowl together. So the fact that their kids have a chance to kind of reunite and do it. Um do you want a few yeah. crazy story about McCaffrey? I don't know if what I saw today was he said that during in high school, his his dad would pick him up at lunch, and he'd go get like some saline IVs before games. God, I wish my dad did that for me. I would have been a maybe no, yeah, would have been all state running back. Yeah, no wonder he's the the greatest white athlete we've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. But he'll, he'll get it done. Yeah, to those of us who kind of made it this far, this was this will maybe the one of the shorter episodes of less to cover from the playoffs overall, but those who made it through another season with us thank you very much um i guess i'll say my last words is always go lions and to you i'll say go 49ers love it